May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. See, we're in white today. We have some baptisms to, uh, to perform. We're excited about that. That's always a wonderful moment in the life of the church. I want to talk to you this morning about this uh, gospel reading from Luke. The big idea is Jesus saved me, so what am I doing with my salvation? What am I waiting for? Uh, Jesus begins his Galilean ministry here in Luke in chapter 4, and it goes until chapter 9, 51, when it says, When the day drew near for him to be received up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he goes to Jerusalem. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't really record what happened after the wilderness experience. Jesus is baptized. He goes to the wilderness for 40 days with Satan, and then they have him kind of going to Galilee. But he didn't go to Galilee right away. He went to Jerusalem. And uh, before that, right before that, he went to Cana. We talked about that last week, the miracle of the wedding at Cana, changing water into wine. From there he goes to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple, and he overturns the tables of, of the money changers, has a little chat with a guy named Nicodemus. You may remember him. Um, he meets with a Samaritan woman. He heals the son of, a, of an official. And then after that, he goes to Galilee. And in John 4, it says, after the two days, he departed to Galilee. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because all had, they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he is, he's He's well-known, and he goes to Galilee, and he starts to go from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, and he's, he's amazing. He's a rock star, and he's doing all kinds of healing and miracles and all sorts of stuff. And finally, he comes to Nazareth, his hometown. So his ministry and his reputation precede him to Nazareth. It says that he's under the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the questions they had back then is the same kind of question we have today, and that is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? People have that question on their lips all the time. Um, I, I've told you the story. When you, when you go to seminary in the Episcopal Church for the first two years, you're a postulant, and the last year you're a candidate. In order to become a candidate for that final year, you have to come back to your diocese and sit before the standing committee and then you get recommended to go to the bishop for approval to be a candidate for that last year. And I was on the standing committee a lot, and during that time these, these seminarians would come, and my question was always, who is Jesus? And the look on their face was like deer in the headlights. And I'm thinking, you know, you've been to seminary for two years, you really ought to know the answer to this question. But it wasn't so much what's the answer to the question, it was what does he want to hear? What do you think? Who do you think he is? You know, rather than who do I th think he is. And if you want to know if somebody belongs to a cult, ask them that question, who is Jesus, and listen to the answer. Jesus is the, is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who came to this earth, died on a cross for my sins, so that I might be reconciled with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who Jesus is. 
and I need to slow down because my wife says I talk too fast when I preach. Is this better? Okay. She's always here. So that's why I went over there. I had to find her looking, and I always want to know where my wife is. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus is a churchgoer. He's always in synagogue on the Sabbath. If anybody had a reason not to go to church, it was Jesus. I'm God. I don't really need to be here. Some people say, well, the sermons are too long. I don't like the music. Mm -hmm. I can worship God just as well on the 18th green. I really kind of like being home in my PJs with my coffee. If you're home in your PJs in your coffee, you need to be here. Now, if you're sick, okay. If you live in Connecticut now, Maryland would, that's fine too. I don't expect to see you. But if you're just kind of hanging around on, I don't know, 17th Street or whatever it is, I don't really, I just threw that out there, I don't know. Just saying. Acts 2.42 says, they came together for the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. That's church. This is the apostles' teaching. You, you heard it this morning and what I'm doing here. The breaking of the bread is the Eucharist. The fellowship, the gathering. So at the peace, when we get together and it goes on for 30 minutes, or when it's between... 10 and 10.15, and Father Brian is trying to make everybody sit down and sing, you know. And the prayers. We have prayer in this time, and it, it's meaningful. They came together for the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. We're meant to be together. There's a difference between in-person school and remote learning. Would you agree? Which is better? In person, why would that be? It's easier to learn. You can actually see the teacher. You can interact with your friends. And, yeah, our, our daughter-in-law, Sarah, is a second-grade teacher over here at Grace School. And for a long time, or for a while anyway, the kids all had to wear masks. They were there, but they all were in masks. She said, I never realized how much information I get from facial expressions. Are you with it? Are you getting it? Are you bored? Are you not with it? She said, all I'm looking at is a mask. Being together is really important. Zooming is one thing. Uh, about a week ago or so, I was down in Tampa for a Friday and a Saturday with the leadership team for the Anglican Union, of which we're a part. And we had four of us sit there, and then one of them, uh, Andy, was on Zoom because he had COVID. But we all said the same thing how much better it is to be with one another in person, together, in the flesh, so to speak, makes a huge difference. Jesus was faithful in his participation, and I just wish everybody would find a church they could participate in and really find a home in that they could give of their time, their talent, and their treasure. The story is told of this uh, 
man, and he was living with his mother on a Sunday morning, and the mother calls him and said, son, you got to get up. You got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. It's Sunday. You have to get up and go to church. I don't want to go. They don't like me. I don't like them. I'm not going. Have to go. Give me two good reasons. Number one, you're 45 years old. And number two, you're the rector. Go to church. Where did he go when he went to church? He went to the synagogue. The synagogue means, the word means gathering place. I love the fact that it means gathering place. Anybody ever been to the Gathering Cafe? Gathering Cafe is a coffee shop. It's been a thousand different things. But if you go to Regal 16, there's that circular building as you drive in on the left. It is now called the Gathering Cafe. It's an amazing, wonderful place. Go there. You'll love it. The Gathering Synagogue. These, uh, these synagogues were established during the Babylonian exile when, when Judea was taken over by the Babylonians and people were carried off to Babylon. There was no temple. They destroyed the temple. There's no temple, obviously, in Babylon. So they would start to meet in small groups for prayer, for worship, to be together. And when they went back after 70 years in exile, they went back into Judea, Israel, and they kept it up. And these synagogues kept going. Even after they rebuilt the temple many years later, they kept these synagogues. They had no pastor. There wasn't, there wasn't anybody like me. Um, they had somebody who was called the ruler of the synagogue, and he was the one that made sure that everything was ship-shape, the scrolls were ready to go, everything was ready for the think of altar guilt. The, 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 ship, the, the, the synagogue was run by the altar guild, more or less. Kind of the same way it is here. The service began with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. They shared in prayer. They would read from the law or from the Torah, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And then there would be a reading from the prophets. And this is interesting. They would read it in Hebrew, and then somebody would translate it into Aramaic because nobody spoke Hebrew. Hebrew was the language of the scriptures but people spoke Aramaic, and so they had to have a translator. And then somebody would expound on the reading. This is what Jesus does today. They would talk about what they heard uh, in the reading. And then if there was a priest there, they would end with benediction, and if there was no priest, they would end with a prayer. So today, Jesus is the preacher. And... Uh, in that reading, Isaiah prophesizes about a future messianic age when someone would come in the spirit of the Lord, anointed to preach good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, release of the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You stand to read, you sit to teach. So Jesus finishes reading, he rolls up the scroll, and he sits then he shocks the crowd by saying that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying that he is the one who will bring this good news. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. You've got you to realize, they've watched Jesus grow up in Nazareth for 30 years. He's a carpenter. Now, I know what I've been hearing about what you did in, in Jerusalem, and I've seen, I'm hearing what you did around. 
but we know you. I knew you when you were in diapers. Messiah? What? Doesn't make any sense. The Jews pictured the Messiah as a conqueror who would throw out the Romans. Jesus was a conqueror who would free them from sin. And it was sin that had caused their captivity in the first place. In 722, well, you had two countries. You had Israel, the ten tribes in the north, and you had Judea, two tribes in the south. And the, the threat to the ten tribes in the north was Assyria. And they kept worshiping false gods and idols and doing all these horrible things, and God kept saying, stop it, get back on track. I'm going to send prophets to you. Isaiah's coming to preach to you. Get back in line, and they wouldn't do it. They wind up killing Isaiah. And so in 722, Assyria rolls in and wipes the whole place out and takes off the best and the brightest. And then in 586 B.C., you got Babylon over here with Judea, the two tribes in the south, and they're doing the same thing, and their guy is Jeremiah. And they're not listening. They're saying, we're going to do what we want. And God said, okay, fine. In comes Nebuchadnezzar, takes them all away for 70 years into exile. It was their sin that drove them into captivity, and Jesus comes to free them. Jesus saying that salvation is here and now. No more waiting. Today is the day. Today is the day. There was a guy that moved into a little town in South Florida, and he, there was a pub there, and he, he, looks, he walks by, and the, there's a sign in the window that says, free beer tomorrow. And he went, oh, man, great, I'll be back. <laughs> he comes back the next day. There's a sign in the window that says, free beer tomorrow. And he kept coming back. And he actually lived in that town for six years. You know what? There was no free beer because the free beer was tomorrow. Not today, tomorrow. And Jesus says, today is the day. Today is all we have, and we need to make the most of it. Anybody know this guy? That's Andy Rose. That's Andy Rose. Andy died Friday. Andy was in an auto accident, and he died Friday. I saw Andy on Tuesday morning at the men's Bible study, happy, chipper. On Wednesday night, Kathy and I were with him at the, men's, at the uh, Wednesday night dinner for classes, and he was all excited because he was going to be t taking part in the uh, Bellevue Senior High Project judging. He was all excited to do that. He'd never done that before. He did not know that Friday was his last day on earth. Now, the good news is that you close your eyes here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you open your eyes there. He doesn't look like that anymore because he's 35 years old. Trust me. I have this on good authority. You're 35 in heaven. Roughly. Roughly. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. See, we, we don't know how much time we've got. Today's like... The only time we know. Today's the only day we have. Jesus talked about God in present terms. That can be a little uncomfortable when you talk about God in present day terms. Prophecy or the second coming. See, this is like speaking in tongues. This is when we were in living water, we became Anglo-Costals. So is that Lincoln? Okay, that's good. That's good. I didn't know if that was Lincoln or Jerry. 
I was just, I was, wasn't sure. Anyway, it's easier to talk about prophecy or the second coming. Theology, church history, they're safe topics. It's a lot riskier to open our hearts each and every day and say, Lord, what are you telling me today? What, what do you got for me today? What's the assignment for today, right now? If God's not here and now, then we only have the God of history and the God of the apocalypse. We have no God. Now is the acceptable hour. We were out uh, Monday night at 6.30. By the way, we have a men's dinner tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, but that 6.30 group will meet. And last week we were out there, and, and one of the people that was with us we were out there praying, and, man, she was go praying up a storm, yelling the word, now, now, now. God had given her that, that very powerful sense of now, you know. And uh, I tell you, there's something. We serve a God of the present. He's real. He's active. Powerful, he's loving. He's also a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on us. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And in that wonderful picture of Revelation 3.20, the, the handle is on the inside, not the outside. Jesus just knocks. He doesn't open the door. We open the door to our heart and let him in. I wonder who you think he's talking about when he says poor, oppressed, disadvantaged. Could he be talking about me? Me. I think in some ways he is. How am I oppressed? How am I a captive? Jesus came to free us from sin and its consequences. And I wonder how I'm still captive to these things. What is getting in the way of my relationship with him and doing what he wants me to do with my life. Sometimes it's dealing with my past. There are things in my past that I just can't quite work through or get over or come to terms with. But God says, I'm here, and together we can make that happen. You can deal with that in a godly, healthy way. We can, you can get on with your life. Maybe it's the present, what's going on in the present right now with my life, with relationships, with work, with health, with you name it. What's going on in my life right now that presents an issue that might be getting between me and God? How about things coming, coming down the, the line in the future? Blah, blah, blah. That's about how it feels sometimes. When you're looking ahead right now with the world of chaos, the way it is, what is going to happen? How does these things turn out? All I know is God is present in the moment with me. He's there. He's here. He's real. He's now. And whatever comes my way, I'm not going to be alone. He's going to be with me, whatever comes. Maybe it's an addiction like drugs or alcohol or work or con consumerism or unbelief, pride, resentment. Boy, resentment can get in the way of a lot of things. Unforgiveness, hanging on to that unforgiveness in your life. Somebody said unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. 
they don't care. They typically don't care. It's eating you up, but they don't care. Doubt, discouragement, all these things come from the enemy. They come from the other side, not from him. And he is there walking beside us to meet these challenges each and every day. The good news is that the life God offers in Christ is here, it's now, and it calls for a response. You can't wait until you're more ready. We really have no future. All of our past and future is now. Now is all we have. And Jesus says we do not need to remain captive and oppressed. Now, Friday night, we have a, we have a ministry called Breakout. And Friday night, we had a wonderful young lady, uh, Aubrey. Where's Aubrey? Somewhere over here. Now, at the 8 o'clock service, I, I said I made the mistake of saying she was 12. And at the beginning of the 10:15 last week, she said, I understand you think I'm 12. I said, you're not? She says, I'm almost 15. Well, how long have you not been 12? Almost three years. Do the math. But she came here Friday night, and she stood here, and she told the most amazing story of her life. And to look at her, you would never know what she had been through from the very beginning of her life. Incredible. Incredible challenge. And then God came in and she realized he was there all the time. And God brought her here. And God brought her new family. And God brought her new friends. And God changed her life. And it was the most encouraging, uplifting, amazing story you've ever heard. Because God is real. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What will you do? Now, I've asked the band to play that song again that you heard at the beginning. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And by the way, all these people are, we don't pay them. We don't pay them. We don't pay the altar guild. These are people who are giving of themselves every week to make this place what it is. And we love you. And God bless you.